Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles, and today I'm so happy to introduce Megan. She's from New Zealand, and she's here to talk to us about grief. Hi, Megan. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. There's so many people I feel like you can help. It's good. Okay, so can you can you tell me who it is that you lost? Mm-hmm. And you can just go ahead and start telling your story. Yep, sure. Um, okay, so I lost my husband two years ago. Um, he had a liver transplant in 2017 and so had been sick for four years previous to that. And he, um, what the liver transplant was very successful um, and he unfortunately got a, a flu of some sort um, and died quite suddenly in 2019. It was it was relatively unexpected. Um, and so I have three young children, and at the point that he died, I had a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 13-year-old. So they were quite young um, and quite a pivotal time in their life to lose their, their father, who... Um, unfortunately which is a bit of an inside joke he was actually a really good father and a really good husband so he wasn't or he was he was he was a very good father very good husband and my son often comments to me I sometimes wish he wasn't it would make the loss would it make the loss easier um but but in saying that he's modeled to them what it means to be a good man so um they've at least had that yeah um let me ask you something what did did he have a liver disease to begin with why did he have to have a transplant yeah so he his story his backstory is quite quite interesting he lost his dad so he died at 52 and then his dad died at 52 actually as well he lost his dad when he was 16 and he went off the rails he he got into drugs and heavy drugs and he went to jail quite young and got into big trouble and he was doing I think that damaged his his body quite early on Uh, he came he went to a rehabilitation clinic and he became a counselor and he got a degree in counseling and he became CEO of a big company and it's an amazing story Um, but too late really for um, someone who had done a lot of damage to his body in the early years and they think he's drinking too um, yep. And he also didn't look after himself. Um, he was in high stress jobs, um, traveling and he, he just, it was, he was an amazing man. And, but he, it's almost like he lived his life day to day. Um, he lived for the day and the moment and um, not, not ideal when you've got three children to live well, like let that. Let me bring you back to when did you meet him? um I met him when he was when I was about 15 and he was already in a rehabilitation clinic at that stage and so I wasn't interested so we'd been friends for a very long time and we ended up together when he was in his um, much more settled period where he was doing extremely well in leadership roles and um so yeah but I'd seen him through this pardon was he older than you uh, yes, uh, eight years older than me. Eight years? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so doing the math, he was like 23? 
When uh, no, um, oh, when, yes, he was 23. That's right. That's right. He was 20. Yeah, doing the maths. He was 23. I've always been with older men, actually, because I just found uh, find men take a little longer to mature. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I agree <laughs> with you, but I think anymore, like I keep saying to everybody, I don't know why. I don't know about your country, but in our country, they consider 18 to be an adult. Yes, sir. There's no way. There is no. no way at 18. I I mean, my kids have been raised well, but I can tell you at 18, they're not ready to be out on their own. And I've raised them to do all the things, but they're still not mature enough. They still no. haven't gone through enough to make adult decisions. Maybe no. some smaller ones. You know what I'm saying? I think um, boys, particularly with the frontal lobe, uh, you know, I've bit- got they're slower to develop I've got two I've got a 14 year old boy and 11 year old boy now and you know I can see they're quite different to their older sister um and they take time and and I'm not saying that all men are immature but for me I think I just needed um an intellectual uh, match for myself and so I tended to go with older men so you didn't have like any um when you were growing up like father issues where Maybe. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I grew up on a farm um, in a rural area, and I, my father was very hard on us. Um, his, he had very high expectations mm-hmm. of our work ethic. Um, okay. He wasn't very loving, but that was very typical period in the 1950s. The children of World War II mm-hmm. tended to be um, lack, they didn't love show a lot of affection um, they were often children of damaged veterans themselves so um, New Zealand was quite affected by that um, and quite so there. quite affected by okay. um, World, okay. World, World War One and Two. yeah so I think to be honest I I might have had some father issues but I definitely searched for someone that could meet me in an intellectual space but also be a loving person of which my husband was quite the is quite the opposite to my father so you 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 searched for somebody that would would be giving you affection too Mm -hmm. not not just the intellectual but the affection which the affection you didn't get by your father but it wasn't that he set out to do that that's just no that was just the way that they were then yeah that's the so, way he was raised right but I could see where where you would search out for that I mean I think we well I suppose not all of us want it you know or care well, that we yeah. have it I've I've met people that don't care one way or the other you know that for me you know and that's just my own personal opinion I'm not making a judgment but I see a lot where people choose somebody that can help them in their career you know, or, mm. or, or help them raise their children and they don't have to be in love, with mm-hmm. them, you know, yeah, they just don't want to be alone. I think, um, I mean, I met my soulmate, he was my soulmate and every, all my friends, my family all talk about, about what an amazing relationship we had. And we did have an amazing relationship. And so for the time that I had him, um, he, he was everything that I needed. And, now I'm sort of like I'm 48 and I'm like I don't see myself ever meeting another person like him um 
I feel like I've lived a full head. I've known love and part of the grief is knowing love. So when you've had love, that's the loss, you know, is that you lose that amazing connection. And in fact, I'm so thankful and grateful for that. Look, because so many people don't have that. Right. So I don't, in some ways, I don't feel like I've lost. I feel like I've gained. So, you know, that's, it's that's from many perspectives. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to go into too much of myself, but just, just because um, of what you said, my first love that I was going to be married to um, was, well, actually his father on, on the day that I was coming back from my last vacation with my family as, as a college student. And then we were going to uh, start planning our wedding and uh, oh my gosh, it was awful being away from him for, you know, it was two weeks. And back then you didn't have cell phones, you know, you had your regular phone, but it cost a lot of money to call, you know, and oh my gosh, I missed him so much, but um, I did get to call him when we're on our way and we drove because there was so, there was like my mom, my dad, and then four siblings. So it was cheaper to drive than to fly. Um, Anyway, so it was like a 12 hour drive and uh, like that was the longest 12 hours of my life. But when I got home, he was sitting on the step waiting for me, but he wasn't happy. And I knew something was wrong right away. And his dad that morning was killed in a car accident. And Mm, he felt like it was his fault because he didn't, he wasn't sure when I would be home, but he knew that day. So he didn't want to go help his dad deliver, um, in case he wanted, he wanted to be at my house when, and so he feels like it, had he been in the vehicle, he would have seen the car that was going to run the light and, and, you know, stopped. He blamed himself and he, I mean, it ended up within a year of tearing us apart. He went into the drugs, the whole, everything he could to take that pain away. Hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, I ended up, there was nothing I could do, you know, and you can't with somebody like that until they're ready. I tried, yeah. his mom tried, his sister tried, you know, we all tried and he, you know, just wasn't ready then. And, you know, so I went on with my life eventually. And, but what I want to say is that I, I always compared him to every, every, every man I ever met and nobody measured up. And to this day, I can tell you, I had to just give in and go, okay, there's no, there's not going to be somebody just like him. Mm. Um, But he was my, my soulmate too. And so Mm. I I know what you're feeling. Mm. And it took me a really, really long time to give up that thing of there. I'm going to find somebody like him because it's not going to happen. I believe you can have similar. I believe you can have similar. Yeah, you can Maybe. have similar, but you can't have the same person. No, and, and that's okay. I think you have to accept that. I, I accept that I had a pretty special person, but, um, you know, and that, that's okay. I do accept that. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but no, it's all good. You know, when I heard that part. So do you, do you remember where you were so we can go back to that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I suppose where I go to from here is just how I think probably I have not really dealt with my grief personally because as a mother, when their dad dies, 
immediately you're jumping in to protect your children so I think I've probably put my grief on hold to a certain point and I, I can kind of see that um, and just dealing with now I've got preteen to teenage children it's a really really um, tricky time just being a teenager let alone being a teenager without a dad so I've poured myself into being the best mum that I can be to them and you so don't I think that you, you know, can do that and also deal with your grief at the same time I think I probably could, <laughs> but I guess I, I, I think I'm probably not ready. Yeah, I, I probably, yeah, yeah. It's, that's a really good question. I question myself regularly and I know that I should probably jump into some counseling. Well, all my children have had grief counseling. It's been really good for them um, and they go in and out of counseling when they need it. So I know that I'm kind of keeping that at bay. Um, and that's probably not something I should do for too much longer. Well, just so you know, that's what I specialize in. So you can always, and, and I'll give them to you free. We do it with Zoom. Okay, so if, some, you, if you do need to talk, at least you know that not only am I, you know, a counselor, but I've also been there. Mm, so I can relate to somewhat I, I mean everybody's everybody's loss is different even even if I'm saying it's my spouse you know um and and he went in a horrible way but all of them are horrible you know mm. and you you just can't compare it to somebody else's so mm-hmm. I can offer empathy you know yeah. what I'm saying? um yeah. and I can I can share what worked for me which wouldn't mean that it would work for you mm-hmm. but there's there's a lot of uh, steps and stuff like that so anyway okay so you really haven't dealt with your grief yet you feel like yeah probably I mean I haven't I haven't I'm um, from an indigenous um, tribe in, okay. in New Zealand so um, the way we deal with death is uh, how do I put it I think far more um, far more in, um, useful and in a better way than the Western culture in New Zealand does. So we have like three-day, four-day funerals with hundreds of people that turn up and we, you know, it's quite, it's a ritualistic thing that's been going for, for hundreds of years. So, and we we also then you grieve for the following year and you have rituals that follow that. So in wow. in my can you in my say, culture, can you tell us what that is. Um, so when you're the widow, um, you you are then mourning for the entire year. You're you're set you're you're given space um, as a wow. widow and as a family from um, work or oh, not necessarily from work, but from any stresses. You get a huge amount of support in your village. So I, I'm, I've, and I live in my village, um, my indigenous village, um, and so do my children. So a huge amount of support from extended family. Um, you have an unveiling of the headstone um, a year later, which is, which means that you've been in a, you've been in the world of a spiritual world of of death for a year. And you're allowed to mourn and allowed to be given space to do that. And then after that, in that year, and in the unveiling, which is a year later, is like coming back into the light, into the world of the living. 
-hmm. So you go through these very long death processes in our culture that has so been left out with it. You're supposed to be doing your healing. Is that? Yes, you're, you're meant to, but you're never really fully healed, but you're meant to be giving yourself a break mm -hmm. and actually giving yourself time to cry and grieve. So in, in the funeral process, people wail. Um, it's quite frightening if you're a Western person coming into our into our what we call a tangi, which is a funeral, um, because there's wailing and the snot and crying and you know there's it's like it's cathartic cathartic weeping for days over over the body and your children saw that oh my children have grown up with that so that's the only funeral it process that they've ever known no they they've they've been to so our whole world is life and death culturally from an indigenous perspective where we bury our dead we do we deal with our dead really well and that's something that we do. We we lean into so our children know that there's life and death go together. Mm -hmm. And so they've been so their whole life has been involved in these funeral processes. And um, my sons have learned to dig graves in a cultural way. So they've learned, so there's a, all this engaged process in the death process. And so my children um, just that was just normal to them. But what about you? Like so you've got three children and well, number one, they weren't really old enough to know what they were going to experience yet, but they also, you made it sound like anyway, that they had been through like that before. Was there another family member that they had went through the funeral process where they um, heard the yelling and crying and all that? Um, I, I mean, they, that's the only thing that we've really known. In fact, when my children have been to Western funerals and they've only been to a few in their lifetime, they've been quite shocked by them. Um, they've been like, where's the emotion? Right. Where's, the, where's the crying? Like, you know, funeral processes from a Western perspective in New Zealand are you turn up, the body's there, there's a speech, there might be some images of them they get taken away in a hearse, generally cremated, which we don't we don't cremate. Um, we always bury. Um, there's sandwiches and cups of tea afterwards, and that's it. And so it's it's that was that's been quite shocking to my children. Um, so and in fact, New Zealanders are tending now to follow our process. So now people are opting to bring bodies into their house and have like three day kind of kind of like a wake, I suppose, of such like where you Ooh. actually grieve over that. So you actually see the dead. Because I think there's sorry, that's my cat. I think <laughs> there's some there's some need to really understand that that person's not there. You know what I mean? So to yeah, really but understand just... that they're gone. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, it is what it is. That's your culture. But I remember when my dad passed away, um, it was sudden. He actually took a trip. He decided to take a trip on his own. Um, and he took a, a camper trailer behind his truck and he was going all the way across the United States to... Um, camp with some guy friends and fish and all that kind of stuff and he ended up when he got into Oregon um, having a um, heart 
a stroke while he was driving, but he saw a sign for a hospital. I don't know what you guys call them. Do you call mm-hmm. them hospitals? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so he signed, you know, an exit that said a hospital and, and it was a veterans hospital. So he got mm-hmm. off on there and he went in there. Um, so it wasn't a massive stroke, but he knew he had one. And while, while they were doing whatever they do for a stroke, um, he had a massive heart attack and he lived through it. But when, so I flew there, um, and they told me that he was, he could not come back home, um, that he needed to have heart surgery to repair the heart, but his body wasn't strong enough yet because he went through the stroke and the heart attack. So he had to rest for six weeks, but he couldn't do it in the hospital. So he had to stay in a camper. Okay. Mm. Well, I couldn't take off work or leave my kids and, and all that for six weeks. So I had to come back home and then he just would call me every night at the same time and check in and we would talk. Um, and so anyway, he ended up having another heart attack while he was on the campground. And, uh, so then I drove out because I thought that I was going to get to bring his body back home. I didn't know how expensive it was going to be to do that. But um, anyway, they had to preserve him mm-hmm. while waiting for me to get there. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge snowstorm and I was, I couldn't go anywhere. So I was, I was stuck. I was like halfway there and then I was stuck and I had to stay in a hotel which they didn't have any room. So I was in a hallway with a cot. That, that is hard. Anyway, you've lost your father, you know, and you weren't expecting it. He wasn't sick, you know, as far as you knew or anything. And, you know, then you got to go out there and, uh, and then you're stuck and you can't go anywhere. And, and oh my, it was not good, but I got there finally. So he had been five days, I believe five or six days and then they had him all set up for me to come in and see him and whatever but he they didn't embalm him do you guys do embalming uh generally depends okay so because they were preserving him for me to say my goodbyes or whatever um, they didn't embalm him so when you don't embalm somebody, their whole body fills up. So mm-hmm. he looked like he was like 400 pounds. It didn't look like him. Mm-hmm. That was a shock in itself. And I was like, this is not my dad. Mm-hmm. This, you know, you're, you've got the wrong person. Um, and, you know, they, they, then they explained to me, you know, why his mm-hmm. body was all swollen and so on and so forth. And, but then, then they just left me alone in this dark room with the candle burning to just mm. and take as long as I wanted. And I was by myself and it was, to me, it was scary. Mm. Um, I think it was my, probably my first time with mm-hmm. death. Um, I mean, my grandma and grandpa, but I was young, mm. um, you know, and I didn't go through like sitting there alone in a room and dark and, mm. with, you know, I don't want to make it sound so morbid, but it mm. did feel morbid to me. Yeah. And, and actually I had nightmares for a long time and, and until I started talking to a counselor and they, 
you know, I like, I believe in God and I have, mm -hmm. you know, the religion that I believe in. And I, I went and talked to our pastor and, and said, you know, I'm having these nightmares and I can't sleep, you know, and it was all about him dying alone and, and then mm. me being in that room with him alone. And I, I kept, he kept sitting up from being mm -hmm. dead. It, it was awful. And he said, he said, you know, I think you need to just really pray about it and, and maybe see if, if, uh, God won't give you some words or, you know, but you need to let, let go of all that. Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing, but my dad actually talked to me in mm -hmm. one of, in one of my dreams. And I, I can't tell you what he looked like or anything. I just heard his words and he said, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. He kept saying, I'm okay. And then I thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. And when I told my pastor about that, he said, I would accept that. I, mm -hmm. I would accept it, you know, whether it was, you know, an intervention with God or whether, you know, it was your father's soul, you know, whatever, I would just accept mm -hmm. it and believe that he's okay and, and try mm -hmm. to go on because that's what he'd want me to do. Um, so I was, my, my point was, it was awful. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine you guys having to look at somebody that you've lost for three days and mourn. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm so sorry, but oh, it's it's actually really uplifting. Um, I mean, I, I've I've grown up in my indigenous village with my culture, so I've only known that as well. So so death is very, um, very real and very a full part of our of our existence. So I've seen hundreds of bodies. Like it's not and all sorts. But does it make you? Does it make the closure any better or, you know, um, I think, yeah, it does because we have to put, like, for example, there's a cathartic moment where we have to, the family has to put the lid on the coffin and My say goodness. goodbye. And this so the, the children, um, so you can imagine the wailing and everything becomes very cathartic at that point where you're actually having to say goodbye to your father or your son or whoever it might be. Um, so was a you know lots of tears and so for my children that was a very final part of so the I, process. I think that's grieving I mean if mm. you if you can cry and mm. face that's that's the beginning of grieving yep definitely so there's but a lot of crying that? um yeah I did but I think I was probably in a little bit of shock mm -hmm. um I think as a mother I immediately went into a bit of shock I, I mean I didn't cry a lot I, I mean I did and I didn't I, I couldn't really tell you I think I was quite spaced out um, numb you know probably. a numb um but I was I was in shock I was keep thinking practically like right what do I need to do next you know um my children you know just you, as a mother you just kick into the mother instinct which is you've got your three baby cubs and like how are you going to protect them so that's all I was thinking about at so that basically point. you I mean even though you cried you you had to put all of your attention into taking care of your children yeah exactly. and making sure they were okay so your your own feelings were kind of put on the back burner yeah and I think that's I'm actually really grateful um, that I had three children because one they are the reincarnation not if you believe in that I don't necessarily believe in that but of him so I, I see them I see him every day in my children and he's there particularly in what my son my middle boy who's 
just the spitting image of his father in every and way that makes you happy it makes me extremely happy and I'm like oh there he is and right. so you're so I'm so privileged to have three of three of him um and I think of widows who haven't had children and haven't got that support around them mm -hmm. is very hard must must be very hard and I can, I can say that I've had all the support and with my children, it gives me strength every day and it gives me a reason to get up. So I'm not, I'm not, I haven't got space to be moping around or sit in bed all day. Like I, I literally have to be there for my children. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I always tell people that the worst thing you can do is mope around, but you also need to, I mean, it's extremely emotionally tiring when you lose somebody and so did you did you ever have like were your was your mother still alive yeah my mom and dad are still alive they live on a farm just over the hill from me so were they able to be there quite a bit yeah oh yeah that they're, they're like my children's parents um and that might we've grown up next to each other in my village mm -hmm. so um I've got a lot of external support um so did, which has been amazing so did they like ever come over and say why don't you just go get some rest and we'll take over yeah. so yeah. you got to go to your room and rest and mm -hmm. okay so that's part of healing too very much so okay so see see I'm seeing even though you maybe feel like you didn't go through grieving I think you have gone through some Mm -hmm. I definitely have and I've listened to a lot of podcasts actually um and oh, oh, well there's one that I really love called grief cast um and it's an English podcast with they're basically actors and comedians who okay. are and they're quite famous people and okay. they talk about a loved one that they've lost and I guess what that gave me was because New Zealanders and you you haven't interviewed New Zealanders before but we're a funny lot we are quite English so you know we we're I love English so. we're, we're very English and so we're quite um oh, what's the word we lack a bit of emotion connection to our emotions okay. and we're quite macabre I think in the way we can laugh at ourselves right. um, very sarcastic and so I really appreciated this podcast because it connected with my my comedic my comedic side okay. but also these were very famous people that had lost fathers and mothers very young and what that said to me was out of loss comes resilience and I think for my children when we looked at these famous people and we listened to podcasts and my son he started googling famous American presidents and all this amazing leaders he's like my my goodness mom all these these amazing men they've lost fathers really young and I said you know son that actually there's a lot to be said about that because sometimes you can make something out of out of loss Absolutely. you know you can become something your, your backbone can become so much stronger and I feel that's where my children have a little edge on their on their peers because sure. they understand what loss really looks like and and how to really fight day in, day out to be the best person they can be because life on this earth is really short. You know, I I, I feel like they're really lucky that they um, have had this experience at, at, with the, even though to me it sounds kind of scary, um, but then with all that support, 
um, which not everybody gets that. No. At all. So with, with all that support and um, you, you seem very um, upbeat and positive. And if like some people don't think they should laugh, you know, afterwards and laughing is a very good way of helping heal, you know, I mean, so is crying, you know, but you don't want to just cry. So I, I don't know how much you know about crying, um, but we have tear ducts and those tear ducts actually, when you cry, they release endorphins, which mm-hmm. make you feel better. And that's why it's a good thing to cry. Is it a good thing to cry all the time? No, <laughs> you know, no, um, but it's good to laugh too. Um, yeah. I don't know about them. So I would love to hear like, if, if you can, well, I can write it down, um, but you can tell everybody about the name of this podcast because I love listening to podcasts. That's what, like, I do that so much. Yeah, it's an amazing one. It's an amazing podcast. I just listened to one, um, Jimmy Carr. He's a famous comedian, English comedian. Um, So the podcast is called Grief, Grief Cast. Grief Cast? Yeah, Grief Cast. And it's um, Carried Lloyd is the person, is the interviewer. So Carried spelled C-A-R-I-A-D. Wait a minute, C-A-R-A-R, yep, I-A-D. That's her first name. Okay. And her surname is Lloyd. I think it's L-L-O-Y-D. But you'll find Griefcast because I think it's won the top cop podcast in, in Britain for the last couple of years. It's it's amazing. Is on Spotify or? On Spotify. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's a few American um, interviews as well. So she's branched out and done some of actors, particular actors of Lost a child or a love, a close loved one. And it's, it was really um, important for me because I felt like actually, I think you can't actually, I'm not alone. I think, you know, cause sometimes you just feel so alone in right. your grief. That's, you that's my whole purpose too, is to make sure that people know, you know, that they're not alone, that somebody else has gone through this too. And and by listening to the way that somebody else has handled it and that they've, mm. and what they've gone through is a big part too of helping them. So, uh, I, think, so I, think I also think it's important because I said to my children, um, we're in the club. I call it, we're in a club. So we're in the grief club. And so my son, actually, who's in a rugby team. So we rugby's really big in, in New Zealand. Right. Is, um, that kind of like, wait, is that with the stick? Um, no, no, it's just a ball, but we so don't have like all, all the headgear. It's kind of like gridiron, but we don't have all the headgear and stuff. We're a bit crazy. Go away, Kat. Um, and so we, anyway, rugby's really big. But he's been in this rugby team for eight years. And so he lost his dad, my son. And then six months ago, his friend in the same rugby team lost his dad. And How we were just is his son now? Um, so this boy was, would have been 13. Oh, my were. son's now 14. 14. And okay. So he's been in this rugby team for a long time. And so he's like, oh, well, you know, I said, well, you know, he's in the club. There's a special club. It's the grief club. And you only know about it until you're, you don't want to be in it. You don't want to invite people to be in the club, but you're in it. And as soon as you're in it, 
there's an empathy between each other because you know what that it's like and um you know it's a it's a bond that you have and in fact no one escapes the club everyone is going to be in the club at some point yeah and that's that's what I try to teach my kids with life comes death and that's just a natural part of the cycle um unfortunately when you you know you don't know when that's going to be no um, as a as a child going through it sometimes they're too young to even remember it mm. and that may be a good thing but they can also be mentally damaged from that too um so it it still comes down to how an, another person or parent or grandparent or like you've got a whole group of people mm-hmm. um, that are there to help you through that you know totally I think I think talking you know if you've got children or or you've got a friend that's lost someone talking is hugely important about about them my son often talks about how he lives with a hole in his heart and the hole will never heal It'll always be there, but he's just trying to kind of work around it. And, you know, the hole feels really big sometimes. He said, sometimes I'm in the supermarket, mum, and I can smell a smell that's like just like dad. And the hole's just boom. Just like dad. You know, so he'll get a sensor or get a sensory of something, and and it takes him back to his father. And he said, in the hole. Thing or a bad it's a it's a it's a good thing, but he says the hole feels really deep and big just for just for that, you know, because grief hits you at the weirdest moments. You know, people often say to me, Oh, are you doing anything for his birthday? or are you celebrating Father's Day? Honestly, those moments actually pass us by a lot of the time. Of course, we recognize them, but the moments where where it hurts and hits you, they come from they come from the weirdest places. Like listening to a song in the car, right? And all of a sudden, I'm bawling, I'm crying because it's you know, or it's a smell, or a a food, or a just or someone said something that they're the moments where he floods back into our lives, not necessarily the big moments. And I think right. it's living with. I think it's just learning to live with what my son says, the hole in the heart. So he will always be there. He's my middle son, actually. I've got my oldest is a daughter who's 15, who's probably struggled the most because her father did treat her like his princess. So um, and how, how is she, when you say she struggles the most? Um, I think she talks the least. She okay. bottles up the most. Um, she's been in some really good counseling, which has been useful. She's also 15 and a teenage girl. So it's hard to extrapolate what's hormones versus what's right. grief. Right. Hard. It's a hard period to lose your dad. Um, and you, you, my but son. How old was she when she lost dad? She was 13. So she was 13 when he died. And right. so now she's 15. So she was already beginning that when the hormones are changing mm-hmm. and, and all that. Yeah. So that must have been a horrible time for her. I, it was. It's been very, very hard on her. And she is going to struggle for the rest of her life, I think, to live without her dad, who was just such a brilliant dad to her, um, just the most loving, wonderful dad. Um, so, you know, but I can say that he's taught her what a good man looks like, and she knows That's what, a good thing. what love is, what love should look like from a man, and what it means to love a daughter. And so I, I can... 
my hand on my heart, I think that she's got that and she understands what that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. It's important. And then how how old was the youngest? Um, my youngest was nine. So he he's so and because he spent most of his life with a sick father, so he was always ill in and out of hospital, and he had his liver transplant, he sort of attached himself to me. So he's like my little cub who still attaches himself to me, still sleeps in my bed now and again. Um, I'm his world. I'm everything. You know, that's interesting because it could have went either way. A lot of times when a young child um, is is um, around where their one of their parents is sick and is going through a lot of surgeries and hospitalization and not feeling good at home and stuff that the mother or the wife, you know, is taking care of them. And so they don't give, they don't have the time even. So I'm not saying that in a negative way, it's just how Mm -hmm. it is, but they're Mm -hmm. giving that attention to that person. And the, the children feel like they've been neglected. Or mm-hmm. sometimes even better that that person was sick and, and taken away their time from mm-hmm. from their mm-hmm. other parent. So uh, it sounds like you were really good at being able to not only be there for your husband, but also for your children while he was sick. I think I was there more for my children than I was my husband. Um, and my husband and I talked about that a lot. He knew that he wanted me to be there solidly for the children. So I think I sacrificed more time to be with my children. Um, I think I really? ultimately knew. I think I ultimately knew that he wasn't going to be there for the long term. Okay. Um, and we talked about it. We talked about this. I mean, I didn't. Of course, I was there for my husband, but my like my youngest son, he's a tap dancer, um, and so I you was. He's a tap dancer, my youngest son. Oh, he does tap cool. dancing. So, and he's, you know, he's he does a lot of tap dancing. So, I we I wasn't prepared to let back. I wasn't prepared to not get him to his practices and to not get him to his competitions. So we sacrificed some time with my husband with each other, so that I could make we could make their lives as normal as possible, and as ongoing and the things that they loved doing, so that they didn't have that full, full loss. I'm going to tell you what, I'm impressed. And, and I hope that there's people out there listening that can see this. But first of all, you had to have a, a, a beautiful relationship with your husband. I'm kind of getting teary eyed here. Sorry. Um, oh, good. But, <laughs> but that, that he could unselfishly say, you know, our children need to come first. Um, because I'm sure no matter how much, if you want to call it faith or whatever, I I don't know what you guys um, had or have, or, you know, what you practice, but like me, um, I have a lot of faith and that has gotten me through so much. Um, But for him to unselfishly say, you know, our children need to come first. And so it's okay if you take care of them. Um, that's, that's how I would be like, if, Mm. if if I was in his shoes, but it doesn't, I, I'm not sure that my husband now would be like that. I mean, I hear about every little 
thing that hurts him. Like, like <laughs> you know, and I'm not used to that. I'm not used to that. It's like, really? Uh, yesterday, I think he said, can you, can you look inside my ear? There's something that's bothering me. And it's, you know, and then he had something on his leg, you know, and, and I want to say, really? I mean, these are little <laughs> tiny things that a kid would come to you about. Um, <laughs> And I'm not, you know, I've always, I've been raised to be a strong person and, and that's the way I've raised my kids. Um, but so I'm, I'm really impressed with the relationship, first of all, that you had with your husband, um, and that you were able to, because I'm sure with, I can tell that you loved him so much that that must've been kind of a hard decision because I'm sure you wanted to be with him too. Um, and, but yet you did what he wanted. You guys decided was best for the children and it's worked. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had lots of support. So he had, when he was in hospital, his mother was there sometimes or his sister. So we did get lots of support and I had lots of support and, and there were times where I just couldn't be in the hospital. Like I just needed, you know, so there's, there's lots of layers of stuff going on. Um, but but my husband knew and he he had to compromise it took him a while because I'm quite a strong woman um that I was putting my children first before me and that took quite some time for him to get his head around as just as a husband when he was well okay that actually when they needed you know if they wanted to do tap dancing particularly Mm -hmm. my son which my husband found very difficult because he thought that he should be playing a male I was going to ask you did did he think that was that wasn't yeah he found that hard stop that though don't we we have to stop that because it was very clear that my son wanted to dance and in fact he's turned it there's nothing wrong with that Um, do you know the name Fred Astaire oh he loves Fred Astaire okay (laughs) that was a man that you know was a wonderful dancer well I didn't he sing too yeah he did, and Michael Jackson. I mean, look, there's also yeah. like he was, Michael Jackson was an inspiration to my son. There's all sorts of amazing. I mean, look, there's amazing actors now who dance. Incredible. Yes. So yes. it took, I mean, it took a while. Dancing, tap dancing, though, isn't something that um, our culture right now like looks at men doing. No, and that's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah. And it's sad to me that, you know, now I didn't do this, but I see it around me all the time that that the men tell their sons, you know, it's Mm. you don't men don't cry. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Don't you? I mean that to to meet a man that has a heart and can cry when he needs to cry, there's Mm. nothing wrong with that. But that's like almost obsolete now yeah well my husband was a crier that's good well <laughs> so he he did a lot much? of crying he cried at movies he cried with the children over a beautiful song they'd listen to and so my children learnt um beautiful emotional kind of connection with their dad um so they were really well, lucky whereas it's really nice but yeah, yeah. he just couldn't quite get his head around the dancing but he came to terms with that and I think he had to come to terms with the fact that my children or our children mm-hmm. come first. They have to come first. We have to raise, work our best at raising good humans. Right. You know, it's, it's your job. 
as a parent. Well, it's my job. I feel sorry. I, I feel like job. I feel like it is mine too. So yeah, you know. But unfortunately, not everybody feels that way. No, and, and also, unfortunately, people aren't resourced. I understand that poverty and systemic issues and I, I get that I'm actually quite a privileged person I've grown up in my village I come from um, a relatively privileged home my children are, are they, they can get tap dancing lessons I mean tap dancing lessons cost money you know they they well, that's they what I was going to ask you next was so financially were you hit hard um, yeah, my husband, because he died of a, of um, complications to the liver, um, I got no insur- life insurance or anything. So um, things were quite have been quite hard for me. Um, but I've got a really good job, and I worked a kind of another job after he died, and um, I have quite a bit of support. And I so I'm I'm on top of things now. Yeah, it took a took a wee bit though. So can I ask, what do you do? You don't have to tell me the name. Of- um, yep, I'm, I'm a lecturer at the university um, here um, at, in Otago, what, the Otago University, which is in Dunedin. Um, and I'm moving to another job um, in a month's time, which is in another teaching institution. Um, well, I was so, going to ask you, so a lecturer is like a teacher, right? Or yeah, like a teacher. teacher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what do you lecture in? Um, I mainly I, I I haven't I don't now I'm going into another more senior leadership role but I've lectured in the indigenous language that um, of New Zealand so I teach I that, that language um, it's Maori you won't um, you won't know it but it's the native language of the country of New Zealand so we I've, I've been teaching that as a and kind of the cultural aspects of our culture and so would it be like if somebody um well let's say you moved to the United States although you speak English mm-hmm. so let's say no so we can't use you as an example but um somebody from would China- be like a native la- native language of America or one of your um, right so like native from China moved here they would take English classes I mm-hmm. mean you'll learn to speak English so yeah. you teach how to I speak. teach I teach how to speak the native language so it would be like a someone there I don't know if there are if there are courses where you learn the native language yes. native Indian language of of tribal language of your you area and um my son had 12 years almost of Spanish um, right. only because our country is so bilingual mm-hmm. and mo- uh, probably half of our population now is Spanish mm-hmm. you know, they come they come here from Mexico to have better mm-hmm. jobs and you know uh, whatever but we you know we're like half half of half of our population now is is Spanish Right. And so it's it's a big deal if you can speak in at least two or three different languages. Right. You know, and so what, you know, like what the youngest, my youngest is going into is uh, into marketing. Mm-hmm. And so he would need to know several different languages. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been offered to him. He did go to a private school starting out and mm-hmm. at first grade. I don't know how you guys do in your grade levels, but in first mm-hmm. grade, he started learning Spanish. Right. Well, so, he's lucky. 
Right. Um, but he was going to a private school. Our public schools right. did not offer that. Right. So, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, so we, that's we, what you do is you teach. Yeah. You, teach okay. another language. And so yeah. what's, what's your one coming up that you. Um, oh, well, I'm going into a senior executive role at another teaching institution. So it's more, I won't be teaching, but it'll be. And a senior over the teachers, yeah, over the teachers, sort of managing that. So, so yeah, so I've so I've had. I'm really lucky. I've got good job, and I'm I'm fine. And and COVID means that there's not a lot of travel, so I don't have a huge amount of expenses. Um, So, are you guys in shutdown? Are you are you? We were we were on and off um, for the last two years, but at the moment we're not. We're we're open. You see a second rising probably yes I mean at the moment we're all about getting vaccinations so people are being vaccinated um, and there's a bit of a movement against vaccinations as there was in every country um, conspiracy theorists etc so um, there's it's tricky but we New Zealand's been pretty good at managing our borders and keeping it out but I think there's a second wave coming so we've like we're about ready to shut down again. Our, we have right. more cases now than two years ago when they shut us all down. Mm, yeah. Um, and it's not, it. the problem, one of the problems I, and this is just my personal opinion, what I see, and I, I, I feel like our governments know this, but that's just my own opinion. Um, I've, I've had my vaccinations I don't know. Um, I'm just going to say this because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, when you go through something, like I had COVID. Right. I had it and I had it bad. And I mm-hmm. feel like that probably, you know, getting through that was probably more of what they call a vaccine, which isn't really a vaccine. Mm-hmm. They're calling it that, but they shouldn't because if it, if it was, then it would have part of COVID in it. And they say it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But regardless for me to even travel, I had, they, I was forced into, you have to have the shot so you don't get to go anywhere, mm-hmm. nowhere. Okay. So I was mm-hmm. forced into, you got, and same way with all of our teachers, you know, mm-hmm. they, we went, you know, the kids went back to school, but the teachers had to be vaccinated mm-hmm. and they had to have the third, the booster too. Um, but guess what? All those people are getting, getting COVID again. Now, so it doesn't vaccinate you against it. Um, It supposedly has made it to where if you do get it, it's not as bad. Mm -hmm. But yet we're having people die every day that have been both vaccinated, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I tell people, because I also own a boutique, Mm -hmm. like, um, well, first of all, it's, you know, it's not a large large store that you go into but you know so it's smaller but I won't let more than four people in at a time Mm -hmm. and they as soon as they walk in the door I hand them a a sanitizer Mm -hmm. they need to sanitize their hands yeah yeah um and I do allow them to use um the fitting room which is also the bathroom Um, but I go right in after they're done and I disinfect everything for the next right. person. And I think right. that's the biggest thing. If, if everybody, the mask thing is only protecting if you're coughing or sneezing somebody else. Okay. 
Yeah. But that that's not protection for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But if, if everybody would have to wash, mm-hmm. if they had somebody at the door of everything that you walked in to say here, you can't come in unless you wash your hands mm-hmm. or sanitize your hands. And, and then you just did it automatically when you left. I think mm-hmm. there'd be less cases, Yeah, you know, but it's people, a scary world does not it? We just don't know where this it is, is scary. End up. It mm-hmm. is scary. Um, but I know that with my, my kids, um, I've, I've just said, you know what? First of all, try not to be in, in large areas with a whole bunch mm-hmm. of people. But second of all, remember to keep, you know, keep the sanitizer on you. Mm. You know, um, my daughter ended up just getting, and she's been, well, she's had all three and she just got it a week ago and she's really bad and she what? doesn't even go anywhere, but she chose to, they're looking for a new house to move into. And so she, she went and looked at a house with a realtor. Okay. Well, that was an open house. So that, that day, lots of people went through it and they touched Mm. everything. And I said to her, you've been so careful. Did, did you see the realtor? Did she, did she wipe everything down before you came in? And she Mm -hmm. said, no. And I said, okay, so you touched everything that everybody else that has walked through here. And I don't think people understand how many times a day you touch your face. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, without yeah. even knowing. Um, I I see people doing this all the time. You know, mm. pulling their hair back or they they got an itch here. You know, but it's you you don't even know you're doing it. Mm. So I mm. said, so how long were you in the house? And she said, probably forty forty five minutes. You know how many times she touched stuff and then touched her face. Mm. Okay, so that's you know, and that's one time she went out. Mm. She has not been going anywhere in public. Um, but she's really, really, really bad. She's on her sixth day of having high fevers and it's in her chest and our hospitals are full. So she can't go in the hospital. Gosh, Um, scary. So it's scary. It is. And I'm like, why didn't you think about that going in? Why? I mean, I would have wore gloves if I was going to go in Mm. me. I just think that's where we pass it the Mm. most is Mm. touching, but that's just my opinion. Mm. I mean, I have a lot of people who agree with me, but more people I think would do, they're more apt to accept sanitizer as they walk in a place than to wear Mm. the mask. Mm. We're pretty good in New Zealand. We all wear masks. It's not a problem. Everyone wears a mask and hand sanitizers everywhere. We're we're actually pretty good. And that's good because see, you won't have as much outbreak. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. But ours has because they took away all that mandant the you know mm-hmm. so you don't have to do any of that stuff anymore mm-hmm. here and here came thanksgiving and christmas and mm-hmm. people got together you know mm-hmm. and all that stuff and it has spread more than it was 2 years ago yeah we have, all of our hospitals are full you can't even get into them you know everything's going to close down again and to me that's people not doing what they should do yeah that's right you know so that's sad but anyway we got off the subject didn't we (laughs) so I but you know what people want to know too how it's going in another country so are you Mm. guys like shut down for people to come into your country um we have been um it's it's at the moment not completely no but we have this um period we have to come in and be in quarantine 
um, and you know to assess whether you've got COVID or not, whether you've come into the country. So there's different, right. it's sort of different. It's a green light, red light system. So like if yeah. I flew to New Zealand, I would have to immediately be go in quarantine. quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that'd be expensive if you were going to. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't really know how that works. I think there's a space that you can go to, but I'm not too. Sh- I'm really? not too sure. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're in the South Island, so um, like the end of the world, really. We are so um, we where I live, we're pretty isolated. So um, I feel a little less infect- affected, but I probably shouldn't feel like that I should probably be a little bit more vigilant but you know New Zealanders tend to be like that because we're like this little country at the end of the world do you love where you live yeah I do I've, tra- I've done a bit of travel and I I do but I'm a homebody I'm like I've grown up in a rural town in my village and so I and New Zealand's beautiful um like it's, beautiful? there's a lot of a lot of movies are done in New Zealand because it's so so stunning so Lord of the Those Rings are a lot of hills and mountains and yeah mountains and skiing and um it's it's sort of like a um a little bit like Canada in some parts okay. and you know um yeah it's but I, but I love New Zealand. I love where I'm from I love my home everyone's different some people like they like to travel and they like to go overseas and I'm just not that person mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you feel like you haven't really gone through all the grieving, but I think you're doing wonderful. Thank you. Um, and you're not holding back, right? No, no, not really. I do sometimes, but um, probably my best and closest friends would say that I'm holding back, but they know really? me well. So I think that's probably a good thing that they do that because they know me deeply um you know and so they can say that I don't mind them saying that okay well so you're here to actually help other women or men Mm -hmm. that have lost a spouse so what would you say to them because you are managing you're not Mm -hmm. in a depression Mm -hmm. um you're 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 doing quite well as far as taking care of your children and, and financially and stuff. So what advice would you have? Oh, what advice? Um, I think if they're isolated is to find a group. Mm-hmm. So I, but my group is my, I've, I've naturally got a group around me, but if you're isolated, I think it might be on Facebook. It might be a podcast. It might be something to connect with others and that are in the grief club, I call it. Um, okay. Because I think finding having some support around you is actually very important um, because there are going to be those days where you just need to talk to someone. Right. Um, and for me, I've just naturally had that with my fam- my wider family. Um, I think always look at, oh, this is going to sound cliche, but always look at something, take every day and find something good in every day. You know, every day wake up if you can, and you. Every day, I I think about why I'm here on this earth, why I'm alive, and and the one good thing about today, um, because because good. it's important because life's so short, and I'm I'm I don't necessarily I don't really have a faith, but I do believe I'm here for a reason, and I do believe that my husband was taken for a reason. He had a very short, full life, and that was for a reason. Um, and so well, here you just, are here, here you I am. are you know what I'm yeah. saying 
yeah so there is something there is a light in every day and and find it it, it might just be that you had a really great cup of coffee it doesn't really matter what it is just something mm -hmm. that's probably my my only advice which probably isn't very good but <laughs> no I think it, I think it is I think it's um important and you know you said find find a group um and yes wake up every day and and find something good in that day a lot of people tell you why can't you know I can't do that of course um, but you know so we really i i feel like people need to um make whether they find it on google or you know somewhere on the internet or even even like i where i found you you know you can go and type in on instagram um inspirations mm -hmm. and you know so make inspirational little notes mm -hmm. wherever you know there is you know get up and shower today. I mean, to start out with, because I know a lot of times when you first lose somebody, uh, this is how some, a lot of people that I talk to react is they just want, they don't want to do anything. Mm, that's you right. Know, they just want to wallow in their grief and, you know, and, and people that haven't lost somebody like get in that mode too. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think you need to post little post-it notes all over mm -hmm. the place of affirmations, you know, um, I have a push journal mm -hmm. and, and I fill it out every night before I go to bed, what, what I'm going to do the next day. But the first, mm -hmm. first thing I do, you know, and that's just me, but the first thing I do is, is be thankful that I woke up and I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, some people will say, you know, I don't feel like that, but I feel like that because I have children and I want to be mm. there for them as long as I can, you know? So it, I guess it depends on the person, but to mm. me, I'm thankful that I, I woke up and that I'm there another day to help my children through life and to live life. Um, yeah. You know, so then the second thing is, you know, take a shower, mm. you know, but, but I have a list of things I'm going to do. And mm. I think when you have that, and mm -hmm. you can check them off that that's like, even if you don't get through it all, mm -hmm. if you can, you know, even get through half of them, it's a step towards. Yeah, totally. And um, I think it, there's also, for me, I often think about others worse off than myself. Absolutely. You know, and I think for me, you know, and that's probably, sometimes it feels really horrible to think about that, but, you know, reading stories of children in war-torn countries that have lost their entire family or COVID, right. for example. COVID's terrible, oh. what it's done to communities. So I, there are always someone far worse off than yourself. Always. And, you know, I think that's, that's useful. Absolutely. And I tell that to people all the time. So I think that's really good advice there too. Um, so see, you are giving things <laughs> more than you know. And uh, so can you tell, do you, you think joking? Well, yeah, well, I th I mean, I'm, I'm big on laughter and comedy <laughs> and my children, we laugh about everything. And um, my husband was loved British commit comedy. My children love American comedy. Um, so yeah, laughter is, is uh, as cliche as it is, it's medicine. You've got to laugh. It is, it is. You know, Just and like we laugh comedy. about my husband all the time, the, the silly things he did and the, 
you know, we talk about him a lot. He's so alive there's in a our thing household. That you're saying that you're not saying, which is to keep their memory alive. And I think Very that's important. So. Instead of hiding that, you really mm-hmm. need to keep that, you know. Um, so like when my brother passed um, and he went through a very horrible death, but he, he had faith. He, you know, he's like, I, I'm, I was here for a reason and I'm sad that I'm leaving my four children without a father. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had a reason and I know mm-hmm. that. And I, and I feel like I know where I'm going, so I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, he said to me, I, I need you to make sure that he, that all of my kids remember who I am. Um, that was my goal, you know, that he gave me. And uh, I mean, I can't always do that. I try, mm-hmm. I try but, you know, I don't mm-hmm. have control over them. They, it's not like they live with me. They're, they're with their mom. And, um, but I do myself like a celebration of life every year for him. And to me, that's just me. Mm-hmm. I, when, when the first time, so when I lost my mom, we had just been to, she was also a professor, an mm-hmm. um, English professor. <laughs> so that's kind of funny that, not funny, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, so what was I getting to? About keeping his memory alive or your, your mom's memory alive? Oh, no, the, no. So my mom and I before, right, like a couple months before she passed, we went to another friend of hers, which was a teacher, her mother's funeral. And her mother requested instead of um, people grieving, you know, crying and all that kind of stuff. She said, I want to sell, I want them to celebrate my life. So mm-hmm. um, after we had a small service, um, my mom's friend had to get up and she said, so my mother's wishes are that she doesn't want anybody walking out of here crying, mm-hmm. that she's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but to remember all the good things about her. So mm-hmm. What she wants is for somebody, you know, anybody to get up and say, what is the, the funniest memory you have or the happiest memory you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of my mother. And by the time we left there, we were all laughing. Mm. We weren't, you know, crying. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't cry because you mm. shouldn't. But I'm saying that we walked, we walked out of there laughing and feeling good. And my mom remembered that. So when she was dying, she said to me, I know your dad's not going to like this because our tradition is not this, but I want that. I want mm-hmm. everybody to talk about my, my good things that they remember and the funny things and everything. And I want them walking out feeling good, mm-hmm. not sad because I'm okay. Now my pain's mm-hmm. going to be gone. You know, all, mm-hmm. all those, all those things. So that's what I've done with my brother is every year I celebrate his life. Yeah. I mean, that's important. You have to. And yes. And I try as much as possible to, and not overdo it. Um, Mm -hmm. I miss him a lot and there's, Mm -hmm. you know, I was very close to him. So he was Mm -hmm. like my best friend that I could talk to, Mm -hmm. but um, so I don't like dwell on talking about Mm -hmm. him or anything, but I don't, I don't pull back, you know, if something comes up, 
something comes up and it's something he did or would have said or something, I'll say it. Mm. And, you know, I've of course got pictures. I, mm. but we don't obsess about it, mm. but we talk about it and it's supposed to be okay. Yeah, you know? it is. Uh, it's important. Their, their spirits still there. And um, I think, you know, my children talk about him all the time. Yeah. And, and as a normal part of, um, often they'll joke and say, oh my gosh, you can't cook because he was a great cook. You're, <laughs> you're, su- you're such a terrible cook. Like he would be appalled at this meal, mum. And so you like, we just laugh. As it, so they take the mickey out of me. So it's, you know, I mean, that's, that, that's great. That's great because then his living memory will go to their children and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know? It's important. So well, what are we going to do about the daughter? um well I'm just giving her some space and time I think um she's really close with my mum she's got really good relationships with her cousins and some aunties so I'm and she's pretty stubborn she's a lot like me um and so we were always going to have quite a fractious kind of relationship in a way we get on really well but she's her own person Mm -hmm. so I just sort of think I'm just biding my time and I think I'll just give her as much space as she needs to be a teenager. Um, and a lot of it's down to some good timing and luck. Hoping that she actually gets some good friends. And, you know, she's pretty busy. She's a tap dancer as well. And she does singing oh. and she um, she does a lot of performing arts. So she's quite busy. So I've kept her pretty busy, which I think is probably quite useful. Mm-hmm. I'm just cross fingers and hope for the Very best. Useful. So it's been three years. Two. Two. Two? Yeah. Two, two, 2019. But 27th what, what of month? August, oh, August. 27th of August, 2019. So it'll be three years. Maybe three years. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So one thing we, we need to reassure people is that there's no time limit in mm, in yeah. our grieving um number number two we can't let it take over our lives though um which obviously you haven't done that hasn't taken over your life no I think you've just got to lean into the grief when it's there and I think I mean you got to live with it you've got to learn to live with it I think you've got to live with that loss um and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm Ray. I was raised in a doing sort of a family that got on pretty hard rural family. So I was always going to pull my pull my socks up and put my boots on and you know get back into life because that's the way I've been raised. Right. I know it's not that easy for others, you know, and I know I know how tough it is for people. Um, I just have a lot of support around me, and I guess have always and my children my children need me right they need me to be a functioning mother who, who, who you know who can just sit there and cry with them but can also take them to their rugby and tap dancing practices like I, I it's important that well, I'm and there you've for them. made sure that life has gone on that everything yeah. doesn't stop but yet you're still honoring him in different ways and that's that's wonderful so I think you've had actually a lot to give to people that you may Thank not you. feel like that, but I, I really think you have. And um, please, if you ever do need to talk, know that I 
I mean, I know you have a, a lot of support, so Thank you. you wouldn't need me, but I want you to know that I am here. So I've appreciated this. It's been really nice. And actually another part of the grief process is talking. So Actually, thank you. Thank absolutely, you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on in, in, in such a short notice. And um, so can you, so what if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, maybe from Instagram that, mm-hmm. you know, yep. so what can you tell they us? Can, they can message me um, on Instagram. Um, I don't even know what my, I, I am on Instagram quite I a lot. I couldn't understand but, it. I, I couldn't. Um, like my son said, what's her I name? Gotta, I'm like. Um, oh, all right. Yeah. So I can spell it out. So I'm on Instagram. My my name is my village and my birth date. Ah, so it's um, it's an it's a Indigenous name. So it's O T A. K O U 73. Is 73 the year you were born? Yeah, I was born. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because he's like, is it Otaku? Yeah, it is. Very good. That's very good. It's, a, it's an Indigenous name, so it's hard to say. Oh, yay me, because I'm not yeah. very good at pronunciation, even That's though good. my mom was an English teacher. That's she very used good. To get on me all the time. I can spell. <laughs> really good right if you listen to some of my podcast and my co-host like it's it's become a funny thing it started out as I was being corrected a lot and I started getting a low self-esteem about it um especially with my mother correcting every sentence I said grammatically you know right yeah and and I'm like okay I know that but do we all speak properly no we a lot of uh, slang words, you know, and whatever, but she, you know, she was a teacher and she was teaching English and grammar. Mm-hmm. And so you're supposed to speak correctly and pronounce, pronounce words. No, you did well on that one. So, well, I can, but I can spell really good. One, good. one of the words that's really funny. One of the words that uh, she always said something to me about, and I knew how to pronounce it. It's just when you say it fast it doesn't sound, but it's ambulance. Yeah. And I, I noticed, I mean, I was getting a low self-esteem about that because I, every time I said ambulance should say ambulance. Right. I, I know that's what I said, but I, you know, I was saying it fast and <laughs> I finally just for her started pronouncing it ambulance. Well, that takes longer. Right. <laughs> but, um, so I, I listened to other people. They all say ambulance. Mm. They do. Yeah. We all mumble. But that got me started. So we actually joke on my podcast about when I can't pronounce something, my co-host, I'll say, just pronounce it for me. And, <laughs> and, and they do it. So it's become, it's really helped me. It's actually yeah. helped me not feel bad about myself. You know, that I don't pronounce everything. I pronounce things how they're spelled mm-hmm. instead of and you, uh, if you've studied, you obviously can speak English. Mm-hmm. That's is that your native? That's my that's my first language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, we have a lot of slang words. We have a lot of mm. words that are um, pronounced the same way, but mean different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot that must that mm-hmm. has to be the hardest language to learn. Oh, English is terrible, and New Zealanders, um, like Americans, speak very clearly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, New Zealanders mumble 
um, and we're quite hard, very hard to understand. See, I think you're really good to understand. I try. I do try. But, but I we... love, love, love. That is my favorite accent is the English accent. Just, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, I was like so excited. I'm like, New Zealand, New Zealand. That's what the English accent, right? And my son's like, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited. That's so, good. Um, anyway, thank you. Okay, thank you, Christy. I'll go and attend to my children now. (laughs) (laughs) It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. And you too. And thank you so much for giving all your advice and good luck. Um, I don't think you need it, but I want you to know (laughs) that you're going to be in my thoughts and that you have, I'm sure today that you have helped a lot of people. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Okay.